Yo, this is BJ Gador, host of the Weekly BJ Podcast. I'm a former fat guy turned cover model, and I'm also the former fitness director for the Men's Health brand. I specialize in helping busy men and women just like you burn fat, build muscle, and boost metabolism while having a little fun along the way. And I'll be interviewing some of the most influential men and women in the health, fitness, and nutrition space to give you a weekly dose of Fitspiration. Follow me everywhere on social media at BJ Gador, B-J-G-A-D-D-O-U-R. And for more podcasts, plus workout, meal prep, and mobility content, please visit thedailybj.com, hashtag not a porn site. Membership is just $9.69 per month. Cancel anytime. If you enjoy this episode, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the podcast to be notified when each weekly episode is posted. Oh. Yo, BJ Gador with the weekly BJ podcast. I have another guest in the Garden of Gains, uh, a lady guest, a rare, rare occasion. It's been funny, actually. Holly Perkins is here today. She's a phenomenal fitness expert, been doing this for a long time. We're going to jam on so many cool things, uh, has worked with so many amazing people, including Liam Neeson's. I, I know it's Liam Neeson, but that's what they said in Key and Peele, that famous skit. Um, and, and what's been funny is I've been bringing a lot of handsome, fit young men to my backyard lately. So uh, uh, I think my wife is getting concerned. <laughs> so I thought we'd change it up and, and bring, uh, you know, the finer sex into the mix today. And um, also, it's just great to get a female perspective, I think, in a, you know, an industry that is very, uh, very bro, very sausage, mm-hmm. sausalito. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but what do you think about the Garden of Games? Oh sir? my God, it's so fun. You took a picture with Sparkles, the yes. beautiful unicorn there. She's still I looking at us, video, by the way. which I put up. Of course she is. And she's so fitting back here. No, it's unbelievable what you've done in such a short period of time back oh, here. Like, it's so fun. And I mean, to me, this is this is why I'm a trainer still. Like, this is like better than a shoe store. I've got more athletic shoes than I do stilettos. And to me, I'm like, look at all these medicine balls. It's so fun. Well, you know, and it's funny too, because people will initially, I, I mentioned to you, like I've gotten some pushback about, oh, you used to be the guy, the minimal equipment guy. And now you've got all this cool stuff that nobody has. And it's like, well, you got to understand too, like when you do this for a long time, you got to get new stuff. You got to make it fun. And I also have a lot of people that I know that follow you, follow me that have been doing this for a long time. We've got to teach them ways they can make it more fun and upgrade their home gym or their, their options. Cause again, it, it's, it's un, not unlike any other thing. If you don't introduce new things, new toys, if you don't enjoy, like if you're not looking forward to it on a regular basis. It becomes really hard to do this long term. Yeah. And I think what people forget, and I know I find that I forget is Part of our business is putting shit out on Instagram, right? But the truth is my body still needs certain things. And so you as a body in training yourself beyond what you're showing people, beyond what you're teaching people, you need certain stuff. And um, your body needs different movement patterns, different forces, different ways of loading. And you might need the 50-pound medicine ball and you can't do everything on a six-pound medicine ball. So. Beyond it being about the toys and the show and all of that, it's like if you're just back here doing your own workout, you need equipment. You really do. Yeah. And then they ask, what do you do? And you share it. And it's like, well, I don't, what if I don't have that? Yeah. We'll it's like, well, it's, I didn't always have this shit either. I mean, that's the, you know, again, it, it's so fascinating yeah. to me because you can't win either way. Because no. the fact is, like, 
actually for a period of about three years, I did bodyweight only workouts because mm-hmm. I was writing a book on bodyweight training. Boring as fuck. Yeah, exactly. I can still, I got great yep. results. Um, was it the most, was it the optimal way to do it? No, because the gold standard is always bodyweight plus some, some loading and yep. mixing up your training tools and modalities. But, uh, you know, they want fun, exciting, but it's like, okay, don't use equipment. Exactly. Can't yeah. happen. I mean, yeah. there's a limitation, right? So, and I always equate it to this and this is a probably a, I don't know if I'm on the podcast today or not because it's becoming my podcast. <laughs> we'll get you. Don't worry. But the, the rant about the fact that just like any business, if you don't invest in your business, business is going to get stale. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So, Especially in the world that we're in. Yes. People really do love new, different, innovative, exciting, and, and why shouldn't it be, right? Yeah. So I put a, a, a just a, you know, a little video up on Instagram just recently this week where I was demonstrating the ankle weight exercises that I talked about, right? I love ankle weights. So, um, it was three of my favorite exercises using ankle weights and someone actually left a comment that said, what if you don't have ankle weights? (laughs) (laughs) I have not answered it yet because I'm like, then don't do the exercises or get yourself some ankle weights. I know. It's a a really simple thing. Exactly. Or, or just do whatever you were showing very fast. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> no, and that's the – so, yeah, we are in the uh, the era where, you know, if it's not exactly what I can – and I, I joked about this too when I was doing pull-ups in my wife's bathroom. That was very relatable to people that had to do pull-ups in, at home or in their bathroom. Yeah. But just because I'm doing pull-ups in my backyard doesn't mean it's it – should be, it should be as relatable because it's a pull-up. You can do pull-up at yeah. a gym at home. So, you know, there's a lot of that and, um, you know. Yeah, and at the root of it, like, you know, I find myself forgetting, like, part of me just wants to do this with no camera. Like, I do this because I love it. I love hitting the gym, resistance training, whatever you want to call this thing that we do. For us, there's also a very private part of it that's just like, we just love this for us, right? And so I think... What happens is when you become an influencer, the world starts to think that you're supposed to be producing shit for them. And I understand that's part of the job and I rise to that occasion and I want to educate people. But there's also part of it that's just like, this is my workout and this is what I want to do because I love it and it's great for my body and I believe in these movement patterns. I, you know, I came up in the era, I guess, where uh, as long as it was free, there's no expectations. Uh, yeah. It's free information. Yeah. Either you like it or you don't. You don't have to comment on it. You yeah. just unfollow it and you find something else that resonates. But here's the thing. Good luck finding a fitness person, influencer, whatever, that is not going to occasionally share some things that you may not have or that are beyond your fitness level totally. or that maybe are even too rudimentary for you because you're so advanced. Yeah. There's seven plus billion people in this world. Yeah. Everybody has different tastes, preferences, fitness levels, experiences, needs, needs exactly. Yeah. So uh, to me, I mean, I see plenty of things that I don't have or I wouldn't do, but it doesn't mean I can't learn from them, Yeah, observe from a distance, right? Yeah. Have an opinion about. Sure. A, I feel like as long as you are demonstrating safety in your movements, right, all of it's valuable. Yes. All of it, right? All of it has some value, as I said, as long as it's not causing an injury or demonstrating bad form or potentially putting you at risk. And when is your content the best? When you're excited exactly. about making it, right? Totally. Yep. If, if, I, if you have to be confined yeah. to making body weight dumbbell only yep. workouts the rest of your life, it's gonna, your content's going to start yeah. sucking because, yep. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's could, true. Could you do body weight and dumbbells forever? Mm-mm. No. Would you still be doing this? In fact, so years ago when I did my book with Women's Health, I had proposed to them 
just kind of like a experiment I wanted to run. And I thought it would be super cool for women and I still might do it. But basically I wanted to take, let's say three months or two months or whatever, four months and on myself demonstrate and chronicle only five movements and see what would happen if I show my body the before and after only five movements, squat, deadlift, pull up, barbell overhead press, bench press. I think those were the five. Five good moves. Right? And so it's like, that would be so fun to look at, and there's an application for that. But then Women's Health was like, that's going to get boring about three weeks in. And I'm like, you're right. It would be. For the Women's Health audience, it would get get boring in three days. Yeah. I mean, even for my own audience, even if we're not looking at, you know, Women's Health or any magazine, it's just like people get bored by that. They want something new and different and... But yeah. So yeah, that's the, you know, these are the challenges of, and we have people listening in and outside of fitness, entrepreneurs, content creators. Uh, there's always that battle of making the content fun and appealing and unique and different uh, to wanting to avoid alienating people that may not have access to certain things. It, it's a, I don't claim to understand the balance. Uh, and that's, I just think you keep sharing cool stuff and hopefully yeah. people enjoy it more often than not. Yeah. And uh, what are you going to do? But yeah. you've got quite a story. Uh, let's, let's take us through how you got into fitness. I mean, you're also the blood type whisperer. We're going to touch on that. <laughs> I don't know my blood type, unfortunately. So, uh, we have to figure that out. I'm, but. I'm so curious. I trust that she knows, but I'm so curious to find out. You have to report back to me. I will. I have we'll to find out because that. That, that's fascinating too. And it's just so funny too, how sometimes the diet that initially got you success or that you think is the only way you can do it is not what you go to later in life or yep. just as you evolve and your journey with this, but so how, how did you get into fitness and, you know, what's the, uh, the cliff notes version of your story, uh, getting you to the garden of gains today, the, oh my God. Ar- arguably the highlight of your career. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you've trained Howard Stern, but I'm sure the garden of gains is probably one up. It's way up there yes, for sure. It's way up Definitely. There. Howard's awesome, but this is up there for sure. <laughs> um, I can't do cliff notes. I've been in the industry for 20 some years. That's I true. mean, my whole life has been fitness. It's so hard, but I think, I think the, The gist of the story with so many fun details in between and twists and turns is that at a very young age, uh, well, actually it started with a elementary school, I think in sixth grade, my best friend was a little chubby and her mom made her go take dance aerobics classes at the local YMCA and like rural PA. And that friend wanted a friend to go with her. And so I was like, I'll go. And I fell in love with dance aerobics and I fell in love with that kind of exercise, right? Fitness, let's say. I just loved it. So as the years continued uh, and my mom was pressuring me to go to college and what are you going to be when you grow up? I had no idea, no aspirations. But the one thing I knew is that the one place that I really felt so good and whole and complete and happy was around exercise. And that led to me going to Penn State and getting a degree in exercise physiology and nutrition. And that led to Howard Stern and lots of fun clients. And that led to all kinds of crazy stuff. And now I'm here. But ultimately what it is, it's like legitimately, I just really followed something that I deeply loved. I now know um, that, which it could be a much longer story if we decided to go there. My entire adult life starting back to adolescence has really been a battle with depression. And then in my later years now, depression and anxiety. And so I now know 
that part of my love for fitness as a teenager and through high school and through college was I didn't realize that I was using fitness and exercise as an antidepressant because it was the one place where I felt good. And so I think that is just how I created a life out of it and a career out of it. Like I loved it because it was my lifeblood. It was the way that I was surviving life. And I think when you love something and you're passionate about it, it can become a career if you want it to be. And so really it's a, I followed my bliss and here we are. This is quite blissful. I mean, at at its core, uh, the only people that I know that have been doing this 10 plus years, they fucking love it. Yeah. And and I'll be honest, like I don't always look forward to working out, but I love, always love the results, the after effects of a good workout, what it does for my life. Um, you can't get past that point, Mm -hmm. right? Online marketers, people that are just trying to make money in this space, they might have some success temporarily, but if you don't absolutely love this, I don't know how you stay in it yeah. um, you, I mean, without absolutely hating your life. Yeah. I think it's like anything else. You know, listen, people in the world are perceptive. They know if you're being authentic or not. And I think those of us that are successful in any space, in any industry, it's usually because the rest of the world sees that you're serious about this and you love this and you're being genuine. And especially in the world that we live in now, People can see right through if you're just trying to sell something and nobody wants to be sold to. Um, so, yeah. It, it is. Uh, well, you know, you've been to three unique states, too. Uh, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. New York, and California. Talk about pros and cons in each, What you know, ultimately your, your take on. Because it's funny because I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Spent three years in Pennsylvania before moving now to Malibu. Um, and we were joking, too, about the, the stain of starting my personal training career in Milwaukee and how hard that was trying to convince people who had no desire to exercise to exercise. And now I'm finally in a place where people love to work out and I don't train people anymore. So it just <laughs> irony. take us through that, that, like that unique journey and how you, you know, being, you know, Pennsylvania to New York to LA has kind of formed your opinion on the industry and kind of what you like to do in this crazy space? Gosh, that's a tough question. So I grew up in Pennsylvania, not by choice. And does anybody, does anybody by choice? <laughs> I don't think so. Can, can I, I tell know. one quick side story? Yes. I was doing a men's health DVD and uh, I just moved to Pennsylvania. I was a Pennsylvania resident, so I can now speak to what it's like to live there. Um, I have the perspective of also coming from a place that no one really, you know, you, you don't choose to live in Wisconsin, yeah. by the way. It's just, it, yeah. Life circumstances have put you there. We can be honest about it, right? There's some nice spots in, in Wisconsin, but it's not a destination, no. okay? Um, and I, I made the comment, uh, you know, from like 300, he yells, this is Sparta! And I yelled, this is Pennsylvania! And then I commented, a place you, you uh, nobody goes unless they absolutely have to. <laughs> totally. I find out a year later, everybody on set was mortally offended. Like they didn't want to come. They, didn't, they were upset to, that I was even there. They didn't want to work with me anymore. And uh, they're like, what is he talking about? He's from Wisconsin. I'm like, yes, I'm from Wisconsin. And I still feel that way about Pennsylvania. Exactly. <laughs> so it's got to be true. But it was just yeah. so funny how butthurt they were about. Their proud state. Yeah. like yeah. It, it's. I mean, yeah. Allentown had some things coming up. They had a Whole Foods, other stuff. But, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, Their claim to fame. Yeah, yeah. But 
just I would never be so offended for someone to talk shit about Wisconsin because there's a reason I'm, I'm no longer there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So sure. uh, just a quick side note. I, yeah. I, I didn't want to. I was worried about and saying I'm anything negative. I'm definitely like I so I certainly have a love for Pennsylvania because it's home and it's I lived in New York City. I lived in Los Angeles. The appeal to Pennsylvania to me now is that it's off the grid to some degree. Yes. Right. So I love it for that, that it's small town, small country, USA. And I love that. I wouldn't want to live there. My dad is still there. Um, so when I was growing up in a very small town, my goal was to just get the F out. And my mantra was like, I want to go to the biggest city that I can find so that I can have access to everything and be a bit anonymous. And so I went to New York City right after college. Um, I got an incredible job. At the time, Pat Menachia was opening La Palestra Center for Preventative Medicine in New York. And at the time, it was really innovative. He was taking this concept of a gym, but elevating it to a medical facility. And it was also a beautiful architectural design. It was so incredible. And it was a very elite, high-level, private club for A-listers. And And who are we talking A-listers at this time. At that time, Liam Neeson's. Liam Neeson's. (laughs) (laughs) His wife, Natasha Richardson, the Bouvier clan, John Kennedy Jr. and Carolyn would come in. Um, JFK Jr., huh? I was actually in in the mix um, when they got married and then when they, you know, went down in their plane. I mean, I was was there that summer and uh, watched it all happen. We had a memorial there with Christiane Amanpour and... Um, all the Isabel Rossellini and like all the who's who's of the world were at this party. And it was just like an incredible time to be there. Right. A a big piece of history. So much history went down in the nineties and I was right there in the middle of it at La Palestra. Um, so I, you know, I, I, that's where I first started training Howard Stern there, Courtney Love, Julia Roberts, um, Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, um, John Bon Jovi, hilarious wow. story about John Bon Jovi. Um, I mean, I, you know, I could go on and on and on. It was like every single day when the doorbell would ring because it was a very private, discreet place. There was no sign on the door. You had to know where it was. Um, you would ring a buzzer and the camera, we would determine who was at the door and the door would open and you would have to come in through two doors of security. So every time that doorbell rang, we were always like, who's coming in? Who's coming in? I'm a small girl from Pennsylvania. So it was like every single time the door would open, I'd be like, oh my God. Right? I mean, that's pretty like, insane. Fan girl, so insane. I mean, if my brain was fully with me, I can just go on and on and on and on with the people that came in there and the people that I met. And I mean, it was unbelievable. Her, her bras and, um, uh, Catherine Deneuve and uh, I mean, Isabella Rossellini, you know, like just like so many incredible people. So yeah. So I really had such a cool entrance into the fitness industry at this place that was such an elevated, sophisticated conversation around fitness. It also, my degrees in exercise physiology and nutrition, and I learned all the stuff, but at La Palestra was where I really came to understand the value and the importance of my love for strength training. And Pat Menachia was my mentor and he was brilliant. And I really just like got a very um, sense of like gravitas about strength training and got to work with incredible people there. So that's where my career started. And, um, and then it just grew from there. I spent 10 years in New York until it nearly, you know, beat me to a pulp, just East Coast weather and cold winters and New York lifestyle, I think. The pace. The pace. And it's just hard to live there. And I think 
when I was 21 going in, my personality was like, I'm here, I'm going to take over the world, right? And each year, I think I came into a real understanding of myself. I'm kind of like a delicate little sensitive flower. (laughs) (laughs) Well, New York does seem like a place that just beats the shit oh, out of people beat the on a regular shit basis. Out of me, yes. I mean, yes. Crazy. I actually have a really crazy story about Julia Roberts and Natasha Richardson, which we should talk about. And I hope no one from my past is listening to this because it's an insane story. Bring it. But um, but it beat the pulp. It just beat me to crap. And I got to the point where I was like, I need to go to the sunshine. I need to go to the West Coast. And I came out here, and my life changed in so many amazing, incredible ways. Definitely a move for the better, but it definitely shifted my life and the trajectory of fitness for me. So, um, you know, I was this young baby out of Pennsylvania and just like so naive and wide eyed and excited about life and naive. So I was training Natasha Richardson. This is real scandalous. I hope I don't get in trouble for sharing this story. I don't think anybody really cares anymore because it's so many years later. But okay, I was training Natasha <laughs> Richardson, whom I loved. We became friendly. We would hang out. We'd go to the movies. We'd go out for margaritas. Became really friendly. She was married to Liam Neeson, right, um, until her passing 10 years ago or whenever that was. So Julia Roberts started coming into the gym, and Julia Roberts didn't like me. I'm really dishing so hard because, right now. Because of the redhead factor, two redheads no, can't be in the same room. No, here's why, and I can't believe it. <laughs> I have told so few people the story. So the person that started La Palestra, his name is Pat Minakia, was my boss who hired me out of college. He and I ended up having a down DL affair dating. So I was dating my boss at this gym. Awesome. Fitness industry, no big deal, right? It's not like corporate America. No, it's, it is what But I like to believe that no one knew and everybody knew, you know? And so we were dating, we were hanging out, and... So Julia Roberts comes into the picture, and she decides she wants to date Pat. But she figured it out quickly that he and I had a thing. So before she figured it out, she was really lovely to me. (laughs) Once she figured it out, she was not so lovely to me. So you you had a blood feud with Pretty Woman. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. And she was so nice to me before she figured it out. And then when she figured it out, it was like caddy, schoolgirl, not so nice. Yes. So, and and we'll leave it at that. Um, So. Was there a girl fight? There was not a girl fight, but she was really nasty (laughs) to me. I mean, I really was shocked at how, like, overtly nasty she was to me on a couple of occasions. Well, she probably didn't hear no very often at the time. I mean, this was the the heat of her career. Yes. So I'm, I'm assuming it was unsettling that she couldn't get what she wanted in that circumstance. I guess. And I mean, she did, right. I wasn't putting up a fight. I mean, he and I were like kind of casual. So I was like, whatever. But nonetheless, I think, I don't know. She felt territorial or whatever. So at that same time, this is such gossipy call it high school girl stuff. I love it. So at, the <clears> same, at that time I was training Natasha. Natasha's married to Liam. 10 years, 15 years prior, Liam and Julia had dated when they were youngsters in Hollywood. So in their 20s, I think, right, before they were who they were, they dated. So they all grow up. Natasha's still jealous of Julia, right, going back because Julia dated her husband, okay? So when Julia starts being mean to me and Natasha sees this going on, Natasha kind of starts this sort of like um, probing me 
for gossip and the inside scoop on what's going on romantically between my boss and Julia Roberts, right? Okay. So she would like, and I didn't figure it out. I was this naive girl from Pennsylvania. I didn't know what was going on, but I noticed like Natasha would take me out for drinks and like ask me strange questions and like probe me for inside gossip, right? So maybe a month later, two months later, I don't know. I get called into the principal's office, Pat, my boss, right? Who owns the place calls me into his office and closes the door throws uh, the New York Post in front of me. And there's a story in the New York Post on page seven about how he, Pat, had proposed to Julia and there was all this gossipy story about them being engaged. And he threw it at me and he's like, do you know anything about this? And I was like, what are you talking about? I have no idea. And he's like, the source for this story is a trainer from inside this gym. And at the time, there were four trainers, me and three guys, right? So obviously you were pinpointed. So it it basically came back because then they thought I was scorned because he was dating Julia. And then I was like the jealous girl that got left behind. And so I called the New York Post and made up this whole fake story. So it turns out Natasha was probing me for information. She took it to the Post and they all turned it into this like gossipy, silly story that was complete baloney and then pinned it on me. And you went down for it. Yes. Isn't that hilarious? Did, did you get fired from no. Jim? Okay. No, because I literally, I was like, Pat, Pat and I had a really good relationship. And I'm like, dude, why would I do this? Like, why would I make up this silly, stupid story? Who would I call? I don't know anybody at the post. I mean, I was genuinely like shocked and surprised and young and naive. And I think he knew that about me. So like he knew it wasn't me. And we all kind of figured out how it happened, right? But it was like, in that first moment, I was like, I had no idea the world that I was playing in at the time, right? And it's like, now, I think I would spot that a mile away. But it was like, just that whole New York Post, page seven, celebrity gossip, all of that is such a thing, or it used to be such a thing, maybe it still is, but like celebrity gossip was so rich and valuable content, right? And I was always like, this is stupid. Like I, you know, I didn't really care. I didn't really buy into it. They were my clients and I enjoyed them and I thought they had incredible lives and I was interested and loved to be alongside for the ride, but like I was never really invested in it, you know? Yeah, no, it's... So yeah, you know, I guess that could be a horror story you Well, asked. I mean, it's, it's definitely fascinating because, you know, I think most people, whether you are in fitness or not, uh, are fascinated by this country is fascinated by celebrity because yeah. we, we kind of elevate celebrities into, you know, they're, they're not human. They're different. But yeah. the fact is each of us takes at least one or two shits a day yes. as we're supposed to. Yes. Um, what, what is your biggest takeaway? Like what have you learned the most about celebrities as people? How, how are they different? How are they exactly the same? Um, you know, it's funny cause we were joking about how like at this grocery store I saw, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, I've seen Andre 3000 uh, from Outcast. Gary Busey has uh-huh. po- popped up recently. I mean, just uh, Shirley MacLaine um, seemed like very normal people to me. Yeah. Andre 3000 was wearing, by the way, the train conductor hat. I don't of know if you're familiar with Outcast. But yeah, yeah. yeah, very much um, so, yeah. But yeah, so uh, what, awesome. what's your – it's just a fascinating thing how, how this country is even and, – and we're even fascinated with celebrities in other countries. Like yeah. The royals in particular are fascinating to yes. us for some reason – what was your biggest take on that? Because you've had actually very positive experiences with celebrities. Yeah. Yeah. Many have not. 
Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And in, in this, I mean, this could be an entire episode here, but I think I have an unusual perspective despite the story I just shared with you. Right. I think I was young and naive enough that it didn't bother me. If that happened to me now, I'd be pissed. Right. So despite that, and, and I've worked with so many incredible celebrities and, and people of influence in so many different ways. And what I would say is my path has been such that they've all been amazing human beings and they are in a lifestyle or a career that has different demands and also affords them different conveniences. And so the two things that I notice the most are a, they are afforded conveniences and, um, in some ways they are allowed to operate outside of the rules of, um, politeness and, you know, basic human understanding. So they're a bit spoiled at times, right? Because of their situation. So a, I think knowing that is helpful to know that they kind of play outside the rules. A lot of times it's never been a problem for me. Um, and though they also have very different demands than we do in their life, right? It's like they're scrutinized so differently. Their job has a different um, level and degree of um, scrutiny that that we don't have. You know, they don't get to be anonymous. And that's I think that's a heavy burden to have to walk around with. I think a lot of us think, oh, that's so cool to be in the limelight and to be famous and to have all this attention. But a lot of them don't really like it. You know, I can't imagine if I couldn't go to Starbucks and not be bothered and not you know, be asked for my autograph all the time. Um, and so I think it's just like, it's a different set of, of circumstances that they live by. But my experience is they've all been incredible human beings. You know, there was this documentary many years ago, and I, I don't know that I'll get it right, but it was right when Britney Spears kind of had her fall. Right. And I think it was a documentary or a three part series. And there was this one interview with her that I really remembered where uh, the interviewer said they were talking about how there are always fans outside of her house. There are always people following her around. They are always wanting to take photos of her. Like there's always people clamoring for her attention and photos of her. And the interviewer was like, "Um, how does that feel? You know, what's that like? And she had this literally dumbfounded look on her face. And she's like, it's all I know. What do you mean? Right? Like that's her reality. She, she, she was a young child star. It's all she's known her whole life. So it's like, what are you talking about? She wouldn't know what it's like to go to the grocery store and look like crap and have no one care. Right? So it's like, it's just such a different set of rules and perspectives that we kind of can't maybe understand, you know, but really I know there are a lot of celebrity fitness trainers out there that could say a lot of nasty things about some of the celebrities they've worked with. I don't have any of those stories. Even even though Julia Roberts was kind of nasty me, nasty to me for a period of time, like I still wouldn't talk shit about her, right? She's a human, and that's the thing. It's like they're normal people with a different job and a different degree of scrutiny and and public, you know, <clears throat> positioning. Well, you know, it's fascinating about how you're describing it. Is you know, we're as trainers, we're expected to be able to empathize with our clients, right? You know, we should we should. It's hard for us sometimes because we're so far removed from that initial transformation or from what it's like to not eat well on a regular basis or to exercise regularly. So it's important we keep that kind of empathy and understanding of how hard it is for them because yeah. they don't do it for a living. They don't, it's not as, it shouldn't be as important because it's not their life. Uh, and we have to be cognizant of that. But I think in a lot of ways, we, we can easily lose the empathy on the other way. People that have been you know, entitled for a while and, and have 
a, a life that we can't even understand. Like yeah. you and I can't understand what it's like to, to not be able to go to a grocery store with anonymity and just grab a fucking ice cream and come back home and not worry about it. Um, so it, it sounds like I think party probably why you, um, cause the odds are you should have had some nightmare situations cause you have nightmare situations with regular people, but <laughs> yes. maybe because you have a unique empathy in terms of just uh-huh. understanding what, what they've gone through the, the bubble that they're in and that they have to be not necessarily treated. Uh, well, yeah, tr- I think the same way coaches don't treat their, all their players the same. They shouldn't, there's different players, there's different attitudes, different levels of ways to motivate those players or ways to get the best out of those players. Some respond well to being yelled at others would shrink at that. Right. So I think in, in a lot of cases, being a good coach, good trainer, understanding the client you're working with. And, uh, you obviously had something about the way you approached them or communicated with them that I don't know, that showed empathy, I think, into what they're doing. Yeah. And, and I will say, I was, it was so weird for me coming from small town Pennsylvania to then being in such close proximity to so many major celebrities, right? And I remember, like, I just felt a sense of, um, unworthiness and insecurity. I'm the small town girl, you know, and they are so wow. And I remember making a decision early on where I was like, I, I'm going to pretend he's not Howard Stern and the Howard Stern. I think he is. I'm going to treat this person like a person just like anybody else. And so I wonder if maybe they treated me differently because I treated them that way. Like I have a rule. I don't talk about their work or their business. I don't tell them. When I started training Adrian Grenier, he was still doing Entourage. They were in like season two. So it was that it was just, it's just huge, yeah. right? When I first started training him. And I and I was a huge Entourage fan. So when I got the call, I was literally like, Oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna stop watching Entourage. And I'm going to start just treating him like a dude. And we're still to this day, like really dear, good friends. He's still a client of mine. What, eight years later or whatever it is. Um, But I remember I stopped watching Entourage because to me, the only way to really be the right energy for them was to treat them just like a human being. And not like a star. And not like a star. Right. And I guess maybe that would um, dissolve any potential for diva or for difficultness or whatever it may be. But like, I, I, oddly, I don't know why I didn't really deal with any nastiness or cattiness or I, I just know spoiled brats. And trust me, some of my clients, I think the world would say they're spoiled brats, but I didn't experience them that way. And maybe it's just because I was just like, it's you and me. And I don't know who you are. I literally play this game where I'm like, you're not so-and-so. You know, I don't know. Flip the script. Almost as they have to impress you. How can you not know who I am? Right. Yeah. Or how can you not treat me like everybody else treats me because I'm such a big star? Right. It it probably is quite refreshing. Maybe. Yeah. And I mean, I still treat them lovely like I do you you or anybody else. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I'm, you know, I don't, I never ask for favors. I'm never take a photo of me and put it on Instagram. I don't do any of that. I literally, I'm your trainer. I'm your friend. I'm here. Let's do this. And I keep it at that. And so I guess that wouldn't really warrant someone to be like, why don't you treat me like the celebrity that I am? Right. I guess to me, it almost seems like they would lose respect for you because oh, for sure. they know they're not special. <laughs> I mean, they, they know that it's, it's, that's the human condition. Yeah, that's why they're so surprised that yeah. they get all this. I can't, I can't go to the store without being harassed. Right. Why would you want, why would you want my autograph? Yeah. Um, is, is probably what most of them think. Yeah. Um, so I got, like I said, it's, it's probably, uh, when people do that to them, it, it's hard probably for them not to feel 
not, not spiteful, but like, like what's, why would you, I'm yeah. just like you in a lot of ways. Yes, yeah. I have, I'm on this movie, I'm in this show, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, so that, that, that's always fascinating because I think a lot of people can't be themselves in front of celebrities. And th- because of that, there's always this disconnect that yeah. it's, yeah, they're different people. You're different. I was at a party recently with Adrian Grenier and, uh, you know, entourage is long gone. Yes. And I know there are still people that are huge fans of his and so forth, but this was literally just a couple months ago. We were at a party and he's just Adrian to me. He's my friend. Right. And I've been around him for so long. And so we were at a party and we walked in and I was right next to him. And there was this girl who was probably in her twenties, maybe early thirties. And she literally was like going to take a bite of something. And she literally choked and was like, Oh my God. When she saw Adrian. Right. And she literally choked and was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And turned to her friends. Oh my God. Oh my God. They were like freaking out. And I'm like, I just don't get that. Right. You know, that just, that is not, yeah, that's just not part of my shtick or my DNA or my human to human relationship. Right. It's, it's just, it's, it's a person and he happens to have a job that makes him super famous or in the public's eye, I guess. So yeah. It's so weird. Yeah, no, I've it's never, so uh, I, I've been fans of athletes and stuff like that, but I would never, whenever I see someone, I would never approach them or, cause I, I I'm like, I wouldn't want to be harassed. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a fascinating thing. Now, so you've been on both coasts. Yes. Um, New York, LA, uh, what, what is your take? We're going to get into the women in strength training. Don't worry, but this is just, <laughs> this is fascinating. I think a lot of people wonder about this because totally. not everybody is fortunate enough to be able to make it to either one of those spots and they're kind of the iconic spots in the States. Uh, what, 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 you know, what New York versus LA? Oh gosh, it's so hard. So I, so I was born and raised in Pennsylvania, went to college in Pennsylvania. Right. And so then at 21, I went to New York, but I always say I was born in Pennsylvania, but I grew up in New York and New York, I believe. really, I grew up in New York. So I was 10 years in New York. And I think in many ways I'm a New Yorker. I mean, I feel like I really kind of came into my humanhood there it also beat the crap out of me. It, it's a harsh, hard place to live. You have to be really committed to living there. And it's wondrous. It is amazing. And what I loved about it was whatever you want, the best of the best is there, right? If Naomi wants ramen, <laughs> the best of the best the is best. there, right? Yep. It's like if I want a silk scarf, the best of the best is there. If you want the hottest strippers, the best of the best are there. That's and I loved, <laughs> maybe some people would argue, yeah. but I loved that like the world was happening there. And that just like filled me up. I thought it was so cool to experience so much of life there. Art, music, business, whatever it might be, crazy people, right? Um, and I loved that. And I think that's a big part of me. But you really have to love it to survive the challenge of living there. It's just a hard place to live. And so after 10 years, um, I was really battling depression. And I was very much in denial about it. I mean, now when I look back, I'm like, geez, I've got a tolerance for pain. Because I was so depressed and just battling my way through it. And I got to the point where my last winter in New York, I was just like, I knew that if I lived another winter in New York, I wasn't going to survive it. And I really believe that. I'm like, I'm not going to survive. And so it was at the end of that winter and into the summer that I moved to Los Angeles. And I left a thriving business in New York. I knew nobody in LA, but I was just like, I'd only been to LA once for like a weekend, 10 years prior. I knew nothing about Los Angeles, but I was just like, there was something in my soul that was like, that's where I have to go. 
And I picked up and I came with nothing. And um, I said to you earlier, my story is I fought tooth and nail every single day for 10 years to survive in New York. And as soon as I arrived in LA, I started thriving. I mean, literally the first weekend that I got here, life just like blossomed and I started thriving. And so I think in some ways it's like, that must've been a personal journey, you know, on some weird metaphysical level that I needed to be here. Um, and I also think this like incredible sunny climate has something to do with it. I know for brain chemistry, that my mood shifted, my outlook on life shifted. I still continue to battle depression the whole time that I've been here. That's a whole other story. Um, but there was a discernible difference in my physiology, my mood, and my mental, mental outlook just simply being out in this incredible, beautiful place. Well, I think you touch on a couple of key things there. Number one, uh, the importance of contrast, right? Yeah. So your New York experience, your, so your opinion of L.A. is entirely formed by the fact that you were in New York 10 years before, right? Yeah. You can't overlook that or that you grew up yes. in Pennsylvania. Now, someone that grew up in L.A. or I, I, I even like I had when one of my childhood friends visited me uh, in Malibu uh, for the first time, like two, two months ago, like we were walking. I'm like, is this fucking real? Like, I can't believe this is that this is an actual place on Earth yeah. because we're from Milwaukee. Like nothing looks like there's palm trees everywhere. The ocean's right across the street. Um, now, if I grew up here, I don't know if I'd have the right. same appreciation for this like heaven on Earth type experience. Um so I think the contrast and perspective is really unique, right? And yeah. there's people I know that we've met here that have lived in Malibu uh, their whole lives, and they have actually complaints. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what are you complaining about? <laughs> One of the complaints was that there was a, a sign across the street that a lot of tourists stop by and take photos. And I'm like, dude, you know, like, I've never lived in a place anybody ever want to take photographs at like, in, in my life. So. Yeah. That, that's one point, yeah. right? And that automatically turns that issue into something really cool and yeah, special. Yeah, exactly. Every day you walk out your front door. Exactly. So, so that, cool. that perspective is unique. And then I think the importance of, uh, it's really important, and I've mentioned this before in past podcasts, to never live in one place your whole life, yeah. right? You have to have these phases where, how, how do you grow and develop in the same community, in the same environment, in the same surrounding, right? Yeah. It's it's if it, If it's not... It, you know, arguably not optimal, but definitely it has to stunt some form of development for people if they can't be exposed and pushed. It sounds like New York pushed you yeah. to the limit, but then allowed you to kind of see exactly where you needed to be at the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know to speak to that point, I just feel like humans by nature, I think we are reluctant for change, especially as we get older. Right. And so when I, I know for me, part of that was just really liking my comfort zone. And so I think I stayed in my comfort zone in New York so long until it was no longer comfortable, right? And so it pushed me out. I didn't have a choice. I mean, it really was life or death for me. But I think like that is the essence of personal growth is either choosing your way out of your comfort zone for personal growth or unfortunately what I see a lot of times with my clients and coaching people is life puts them in a situation, where they have to get out of their comfort zone. It usually comes in the form of a health risk or a health scare, right? At 42, their husband has a heart attack or something. And so it's like, uh-oh, we get rattled out of our comfort zone and now we have to start stirring the pot. And so I think for me, it was like kind of a combination of both. But it's, it, it is, it's really hard to truly, and I think all self-development experts, psycho, psychology experts, I think they would all agree that like, the essence of a full life is getting out of your comfort zone and the contrast and changing up your environment. I think it's so important. It's 
hard for a lot of people. You know, when you talk about Milwaukee, I grew up in small town Pennsylvania and my best friend is still there. You know, a, a lot of my friends stayed in that same small town because that's what you do. Right. And they've spent their whole life in this small town in Pennsylvania. And they might not say they're unhappy, but I wonder, did they really live a full, 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 full life? Right. I don't know. Well, I can tell you one thing. I can't, <clears throat> you can't then come to Malibu and go back to Milwaukee. Now, the summer is beautiful in Milwaukee. We actually still own a, a townhome uh, on the river in Milwaukee. But, uh, no, it, it, it's so funny. And, and you know, uh, there are these moments like I, I ne- did not want to move to Pennsylvania and take the men's health job. I took yeah. that as a huge failure that I had to, as an entrepreneur, I had to go work for someone else. It accomplished the goal of ultimately what I want to do to get here and have the, an audience that I could really reach and impact. But, um, typically it's a situation where you, you almost don't want to go. But, uh, luckily my wife was like, you know, you got this, you got to do this. This is an opportunity you have yeah. to take. And so knowing when to take, to, to take the leap of faith and yep. get yourself out. I mean, you really did. Like you came here knowing nobody, no real plan in place. Um, and then you thrived. That's just, mm. that's not a, I don't feel like it's not a common thing. Yeah. Usually there's some sort of planning and preparation involved, but yes, and I'm not saying it was the sane or right choice either. I mean, like I said, I think I have, I had a very high tolerance for pain. I mean, I look back <laughs> on what was I thinking? It was so stressful. So I wouldn't encourage people to do that, nor would I claim myself to be brave. I think it was actually just kind of stupid, <laughs> oh, but, but you believe <laughs> enough I in yourself that you yeah. could just literally yeah. get, get out, go somewhere else where no one knew you and, and find a way to make it work. I mean, yeah. that's, that's also very common in people that have success. Yes. I just, uh, and not, not a delusional self-belief, but like a self-belief that, yeah, I know it's going to be really hard. I'm willing to weather that. Yeah. Uh, cause I know I can make it out the other end at least, uh, and come, come ahead slightly, not necessarily be a huge success, but I'll find a way to make this a positive. Yeah. And even, you know, what I would say is like, for me, it wasn't even so much like I'll make sure it's a positive. It was almost just like, um, feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Right. So for me, it was more like, I don't know, I got to do it. My thinking definitely was not, I'm going to make this work. I wasn't that confident, but it was more, I don't know. I'm, I had a willingness to do scary things. I had a willingness to, to leap in the hopes that the net would appear. Right. And it always does. And I think for most people it does, but that's the kind of, I think differentiating factor is that a lot of us feel the fear, right. And we don't just jump or we don't just it go paralyzes. for it, right? We yep. plan and because most people would plan and save up and do it more strategically and in a way that's less stressful and maybe that's the better way, right? Um, certainly, you would save yourself a lot of stress. But I think there is something about just like a lot of people will feel the fear and then not do it or think that that means they shouldn't do it or it's scary and in in my life, I, I think I've always just been the person that was just like, I don't care. I'm doing it right. If it feels right in my soul and LA felt right in my soul. Like I knew I needed to be here and probably if I overthought it, I wouldn't have done it. So it just was like, okay, I'm going to go, you know? I love it. And then, so you also had an interesting trajectory where you uh, were training people, nothing but training people. But then you said, you know what? It's too exhausting. I'm going to do everything digitally and I don't want to see anybody. And now you've kind of evolved back into now. I'm still going to see some people, but only if they really make me feel good, they elevate my life in some way. Actually, some could say that's a selfish approach. But in reality, if you want to train people long term, if you don't have people that lift you up, that inspire you, that excite you, 
uh, all they do is just suck all the joy out of what you want to do. And you end up hating what you do anyway. So I just love the honesty in that. And I think a lot of trainers might be listening who, uh, you know, I know what it's like to like have the person on every Tuesday and Thursday who, even though I only see them twice a week, they take up my whole week is all I'm thinking about in the days I don't see them is I have to see them again the next day. Cause it, it was such a miserable nightmare experience. Uh, they didn't respect me. They, they didn't, didn't want to work out. I was just there to talk or socialize or hear about their terrible husbands, you know, whatever yeah. it was. Um, so a lot of us who actually l- may have loved training lose that love for it because we put ourselves in situations where we're working with people. We, it just kill us. Yeah. It kill the love we have for what we're doing. So take us through. I just, I love the way you put that. Like if they don't lift me up, if they're not adding to my life, cause technically you could say, well, they're paying you. That should be enough. No, it's, they're paying me. And they're paying paying you a lot, by the way. Congratulations! Um, but also, they're 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 also to make my life better. Yeah, take me through it's that an process. Exchange. That's a thing. Like it's simply an energetic exchange, and part of the exchange is I'm sharing my wealth of information with you, and you're paying me back in part with money. Right. I also get a lot of payback by watching you thrive and seeing you succeed, and that's ultimately why I do it. I really don't do it for the money. But the truth is, we all have a choice on how we want to spend the eight hours of the day or an hour of the day or whatever you want to call it. Like you do have a choice for how you want to spend the minutes of your day. So I had gotten to a place where I could spend my minutes doing virtual online business, right? Or I can spend some minutes with human beings. I can do it however I want. So why would I choose to go train a jerky person when I don't have to do that? And I think the switch of the the flip of the switch for people is there were times in my life where I thought I had to go train that person for the paycheck, and that is sort of the um, the matrix or the illusion you think you need to keep the jerk on Tuesdays and Thursdays because they're paying you a fortune. But that's just an illusion, right? You don't have to do that. If you were to let that go and open up and say, maybe another client that would come in that you would love that you can make the same amount of money for, like no one is putting a gun to your head that says you have to train this person for that paycheck. There's another high paying client out there. It might take some time to find them or it might take some, you know, serendipity. I don't know. But it, I just kind of got to the point where it's like, I don't have to do anything. I get to do what I want. And I know that someone might look at me and say, sure, after 24 years in the business and my credentials and my experience and all of that, I have the luxury of that. I think that's an illusion. I think if you who's listening, if you're 23 and just starting out in the fitness industry, you have that choice too. You just don't think you do. I think humans, we shut ourselves down. We start to think that like, we're not worthy of building the garden of gains, right? Like you did this. It took compromise. It took, you know, certain sequencing of decisions, but like you had a choice to do this. And so we really have more choice than we realize. And I think that was what came into play for me when I decided to start training some clients back in the gym again, because I'd gotten to the point where I'm like, I think I'm pretty equally balanced between an introvert and an extrovert. I need my introvert time, but I also need human time badly. And I spent 17 years training people in the gym day in and day out for 17 years and got burnt out because it was too much extrovert. 
Then I swung the other direction and went to this extreme introvert where I was at home by myself and behind my computer for 12 hours a day. Looking out the window. Who the fuck is that? Seriously. (laughs) What are they doing? Are they they stalking me? They've been standing there for too long. What is in their pocket? What are they doing? (laughs) What are they taking a picture of? I know the hermit lifestyle all too well. (laughs) There's a noise. What's out front? Is that the mailman? (laughs) I didn't get that crazy. Isn't it amazing though getting a package? Oh, my, yes. my worst days are when we don't get a package. Oh, totally, right? I What's love wrong? it. It's the best thing <laughs> yeah, in the world. Yeah. Sometimes I'll, we'll, sure. my wife and I will alternate. <laughs> just we'll, Each of us try to send ourselves something once a week just so that the odds are, usually I, I work with a lot of equipment companies. Yeah. Something's coming a couple times a week. Totally. But I got to make sure the other day something's coming too. So it, it's a sickness. <laughs> it totally <laughs> is. Oh, my God. So I got to the point where I was just like, ooh, this isn't good for me either. And I would like to have, I really love being in the gym. I do. I don't know why. I love walking in any gym. It could be a dumpy gym. It could be a fantastic gym. It could be glitzy. It could be glammy. It could be your backyard gym. Like I love them. It's my playground. And so I don't want to be training clients 10 hours a day either. I also don't think that's a very smart business move personally. That's just my opinion. But I do want to have some of my favorite clients. I do love seeing them. We do have fun. It does light me up. Right. And so therefore, it's kind of not really about the money. It happens to be I'm able to command a high price tag now, mostly because I asked for it, honestly. But, you know, it lights me up in general. And so now I kind of have the best of both worlds. It's like I spend maybe, let's say, I don't know, maybe four to a lot of times my sessions with my clients go over an hour. Like sometimes I spend an hour and a half or two hours with my clients in the gym if we're having a good time and it's a great training session. But let's say I have on average anywhere from two to sometimes eight sessions per week in the gym, right? Some days I'm not in the gym at all, but it's just a really good balance for me. And it also puts me in the position where if a client calls me and I don't want to work with them, I don't feel like I have to. It literally has to be a hell yes, Otherwise, I'll spend my time doing something else, right? Because if it's not here, then I'll go over here and my energy gets to go into something else. You have a choice of where you're going to expend your energy. And this this is the danger, what you're outlining too, is the potential danger of emulating a certain trainer you look up to, right? Because if if you don't like working with people at all... Mm -hmm. uh, Which I can understand, by the way. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So it's it's knowing, I think what you've done such a good job of is you, you figure out exactly what you like... And, and there's a, there's a certain blend to the type of schedule you're looking for and hu- level of human interaction and fulfillment you get out of you know doing things uh, on your own schedule, but also still interacting and feeling the impact of, of changing someone's lives directly. Um, and, and that that's beautiful because you've set it up exactly as you want. Yeah. And that's really the true message in this. It's not that you should be an online trainer or only an uh, in-person trainer or do the exact blend that Holly does. It's what blend optimizes the quality of your life? Mm-hmm. Really? Well, I mean, that's you up. Exactly. Because if you get lit up, you're going to be better at what you do and you're going to be happier. Yes. Regardless of the money thing, right? It's like you got X number of minutes in a day. No one is making you show up, right? That was a big, somewhat existential realization for me. I don't have to be here and do this, right? So if I don't have to be, well, I might as well make it what I want. And we all really do have that choice and it should light you up. And when you start to think you're doing it because you need to pay your rent and you need that jerky person on Tuesdays, I bet if you let that jerky person go, you might actually get rewarded with someone who's even better and more in alignment for you. Or because it's what everybody else in the industry does. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, it's so funny because like 
out in our world, I hear trainers who say, if you're, how can you call yourself a trainer if you're not training people? And I don't buy that. I think you could actually be really good at teaching people proper movements. You don't actually have to be a trainer, right? And I also think like, if you love training people, it, listen, I'm good at what I do because I've worked with people for 24 years. I know that I'm better at what I do because I've worked with real human beings, right? But that doesn't mean you have to do that to be good at what you do, right? I mean, I think ultimately those of us that have trained people at some point in our career probably are better at it even if it's just psychologically or biomechanically or physiologically, right? Yeah. Just but like I don't think there's any rules. It's just like why you have to you have to have some bad clients to know the good ones, yeah, right? You exactly. have to go through – there's a certain process I think all of us need to go through to understand how to work with the human body and all the fitness levels and varied taste and preferences out there. Um, but, but at the same time, recognize that there's also a vehicle – there are certain uh, platforms that you're more effective in communicating your message than others are and vice versa. Yeah. And, and uh, hopefully learning that sooner than later so you can be more effective and, and happier in doing yeah. what you love. I think one of the biggest signs is if, you, if it's something you love and now you hate it, something serious is going wrong, right? right. Yeah, There's a series totally. of missteps there yeah. either by, uh, you know, doing what you think you have to do because everybody else does it mm-hmm. or – you know, um, trying to emulate someone who has a totally different level of, of you know, personality or desire for what they're trying to get out of life. Yeah. And, and ultimately, if you're trying to do someone else's life, you're not going to be yeah. happy with what no, you get. No, it's true. We have no idea the inner workings of what's driving other people. Yes. Right? We have no idea. We think we do, but we don't really know the inner workings of other people. And so it's like just because, you know, I, I, I know some trainers that can train like 12 hours a day. God bless them. Uh, They can do it. And I think they're happy, but who knows? I just know I would not be happy doing that, right? That doesn't make one wrong or right or good or bad. It's just literally, you know, knowing where my zone of genius is. And ultimately for me, I do believe that, that I'm here to help people, right? That's why I do what I do is because I do want to serve and help as many people as possible. And so therefore it comes a question of, okay, so in what form do I want to help and serve people, right? And one-on-one is one way and it's also a limited way. Social media is another way and it's also limited, right? You know, so it's like some people would argue that if I were to dedicate more of my time to offering free online virtual content, I could help more people, right? Sure, maybe. But you got to want to do it. Exactly. You got to want to do it. Exactly. You got to, there's got to be an element that you're loving to do it. And I know that I don't want to just be living my life on social media all the time. I don't. I need to just like, be in the gym with cat every now and then, you know, and I really like that time. And so, yeah, I think it's finding the special mix for you, right? What really is like, what are the balance and the nuances of your personality? Because we are all so infinitely complex and different. Let's talk chicken. <laughs> okay. Uh, those listening, uh, <laughs> Holly is what they call a blood type whisperer. Yes. You've had a really interesting journey with diet. Um, relating to blood type with a lot of different factors and just figuring out what your body responds to and also really celebrating the only thing we do know about nutrition was which, which is like it's it's whatever works for you and your body type and ultimately your personality right um, but it would be safe to say that you are not 
an investor in Chick-fil-A. No, nor Purdue. So, I'm sorry. Nor Purdue. Uh, I don't think that they're going to be paying me for an Instagram shout-out. What, what, ha- what would happen? <laughs> but think about it. There's actually a unique opportunity here because of how badly your body responds to chicken. If someone created a certain type of chicken your body responded to, you'd be the ultimate spokesperson. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. It's a serious money-making opportunity. Yes, definitely. I Keep hope they mind. get on it. I will. Absolutely. You can be my agent. I'll give you 10%. Someone's in a lab right now <laughs> totally. making the Holly Perkins-proof chicken. Totally. It's going to change the world. It's true. So t- take us through, because uh, there were just series of steps that allowed you to finally, finally find the diet after several decades yeah. that really worked for your body. And yeah. it was really different than where you started. Totally. So I don't even know that. where to begin with that one. So let's start here. So there are many people amongst us that believe in the uh, inner workings and science of eating according to your blood type, right? And, and I know there are some critics of it. Um I, as I shared with you throughout, really, when I look back now, I realize that I had digestive issues that went way back to early adolescence when I was put on Prozac, right? So it really lines up with when my digestive issues started was exactly when my symptoms of depression came in. Gotcha. Didn't figure it out until I was in my 40s. So I spent my entire adult life battling depression and then at 40 anxiety started to come into the picture with the depression. I spent my entire life basically on antidepressants my whole life. Um, Very long story short, around 40, certain life things presented themselves and I sort of had this perfect storm of things that happened in my life and I was just in a tough place and I knew that I needed to make some changes and one of those changes was that I really wanted to see what would happen if I could get myself off of antidepressants that I had been on forever. As I went through that process, it was revealed that there were some digestive injuries at play that were affecting my depression and my anxiety, for sure. In the mix in all of that, right, because it really is a multifaceted, step-by-step things that happen through the decades, um, one of the things that was really powerful is that I met in my 30s, I met a very gifted, influential, highly regarded medical doctor who um, became a colleague and a friend. We were working on a book together. The book didn't go anywhere, but we got very close. And I had talked to her about a couple of these very specific symptoms that I was battling. And she just looked at me and she's like, we are a B blood type. Get off the chicken. It was just literally like matter of fact. And I was like, oh my God, right? Like I should have known that because I was educated and aware of this whole concept of eating according to your blood type. So I took chicken out, and that was the only thing I changed in my diet. And you for were eating real, it like three real. times a day, though. Oh, and it was yes. like a huge part of your Maybe diet. Maybe even four times. It was my protein, wow. right? Maybe even four times a day, right? For my whole life. I mean, all through my 20s, it's how I got lean, even though I wasn't lean at times, right? And so it was the go-to lean protein for us. And so at least three times a day, sometimes four, right? The only thing I changed in my diet, and I swear to God, it really was the only thing in my diet that I changed. I took the chicken out, and it took about two to three months, and I have not looked back. It's been eight years. Like It radically, definitively, undeniably changed my body and took away those very specific symptoms, and I didn't know even... Some of those things that were related, I didn't know until I took took the chicken out and I woke up one day and I was like, oh my God, I used to feel this weird thing and it doesn't happen to me anymore. And so it was really pretty 
drastic and undeniable. So I know there are people out there in the world and critics that, you know, I've gotten some hate mail from people that are like, what are you stupid? Everyone knows there's no science behind blood type eating, which is not true. There actually is science behind it to quote unquote prove it, right? You can prove anything that you want these days. That's true. You really can. I mean, you can prove anything. Um, But I can say since I've been using it with my clients, I've leaned into it more and more and more over the past let's call it 12 years, I think. And now it's to the point where I am literally watching miracles happen with my clients, where I say, what are your struggles? What are your problems? And if I see that it links back to them being an O blood type and eating dairy and having digestive disorders, right? And we take the dairy out. It's like, boom, night and day. Um, So so what are the, can you go through the main blood types and what are like the big, like, you know, you said for uh, for B, yep. it's chicken is like brutal. Yeah. What are, what are the kind of the brutal things commonly for each blood type? Yeah. And so with that, um, I basically use four or five rules around each blood type. I don't blood type, like I don't have people eat strictly according to blood type. There's a couple of overarching philosophies that I pull in per blood type. So there's four blood types, A, B, A, B, O, Right. Each one of them has a couple rules that are really important. O's, no dairy. O's usually are marked by digestive disorders. That's why I kept asking you. I have a suspicion you're an O. I might be wrong, but that's why I kept asking about digestive disorders. Didn't really have any except for certain years. Um, O's classically have digestive disorder, and it's because of dairy and grains. 38% of the world's population is an O blood type. This I'm going to real geek out here for a moment, okay? Follow along. 38% of the world's population is an O blood type. 38%, right? Wow. O's really have a lot of problems with dairy and grains. So now we look at our common modern culture today, and there has become this automatic knee-jerk belief that none of us should be eating dairy and grains, right? It's kind of the basis of paleo, ketogenic eating, etc., right? But it's interesting that really the issue is that O's should not be eating it, but there's so many O's in the world that it's almost become epidemic. But the truth is really what it's about is your digestive system as an O gets injured when you eat foods that aren't in alignment with your blood type. And that applies to all the blood types, right? So no wonder we've got so many digestive issues with people, but without really looking close, a lot of the experts in our world just automatically say no grains and no dairy. Because for A's and O's, dairy is a problem. A's are the other most predominant blood type in the world. So when you take A's and O's, it's something like 60 to 70, let me see if I can get this right there. 60, 60 to 70% of the world's population is an A or an O. Neither one of those do well on dairy. So that's why we have such an issue with dairy. It's not because dairy is the problem. It's that a lot of blood types don't do well with dairy, so you want to keep it to a minimum. So O's are dairy, gluten, corn, B, chicken, corn, lentils, sesame, ABs actually do really well on turkey. They can't do chicken. A's and B's tend to do the best on everything. A's do not do well on dairy, but they thrive on grains, right? So A's are okay on the grains, but the dairy can injure their digestive system. So then they have issues with grains. The problem wasn't the grain, though. The problem was the dairy. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. So those are kind of like when a client comes to me and I'm really looking at and discerning what are their struggles and what are their problems, I'm always looking at like kind of what the red flags are and then pairing that with their blood type. Um, but with bees, I mean, chicken is poison for bees. It really is very problematic. Um, dairy is very problematic for O's and A's. Outside of that, coconut's a problem. Coconut, you know what? Coconut is the only food that is an avoid for all blood types. Really? Coconut is the only food that's a void for everybody, right? It's almost as though our digestive system really isn't supposed to be doing coconut. And I know so many people are going to criticize me right now. So many people are going to be like, what? It's the superfood. It's the new (laughs) kale, right? But like, if you're someone who's eating a lot of coconut, do me a favor, take it out for four weeks and just observe how you feel. You're going to feel totally, I, I do it with clients all the time. They're like coconut fanatics, me a favor just take it out and let's see what happens so, so what specifically are do people natively get impacted by with coconut just the it's different so we talked okay. about this earlier so based on what your genetic weaknesses are that will determine what your symptoms are when you eat a food that doesn't work well for you so my symptoms that were problematic with chicken might be different for another b another b might get sinus congestion and eczema on chicken Whereas I got other symptoms, right? So it's kind of different for everybody. But what the observation I'm seeing with coconut is a sense of congestion and heaviness in your belly. So for women who always feel fat, whether they are or not, like if they just feel fat all the time, that's usually, um, to me, a sign of silent inflammation. So we look at what could be causing the inflammation, Coconut's one of them. It's just, it's, there's something about it in the digestive system. It's just sort of like, like when I eat coconut, I'm just like, I don't feel well. I've had a couple clients that, um, sinus congestion was huge with coconut. And as soon as they took the coconut out, they didn't get all of the, the, just the congestion through their sinus area. And this isn't just the meat, it's the actual juice or milk too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Any form of coconut. Wow. Oil, meat, water, right? Flakes coconut flakes, you know, are real problematic. Um, so yeah, so again, someone is gonna, someone's 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 gonna yell at me right now. Someone's gonna lose their shit with me saying, (laughs) I'm not saying coconut is bad, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about the biochemical process, like the, you know, the, the biological factors of what coconut does. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is in some human bodies, coconut can be problematic. And the more you vehemently argue with me, probably the more it's playing out for you. And I would say, give it a try. Take four weeks and let's see what happens if you take coconut out. Observe. You might find that you feel better. And that's kind of undeniable, you know? So, yeah. So, people I, you know, people do that all the time. They're like, oh, actually, um, you know Philip Golia? No. Philip Golia is the nutritionist. This is hilarious. He is the, like, the celebrity nutritionist who um, someone that we talked about earlier today works very closely with. Uh, He works with the Kardashians. He's actually quite famous, right? And he is highly regarded in many ways. Went to Duke, um, a bit of an ego, right? He's been around for a long time. He's very respectable and highly regarded. So his office referred a client to me. The client came to me with certain issues and problems. And to me, it was so obvious The problems were related to the fact that he was eating a shit ton of chicken and he was a B blood type, right? So to the client, I said, do me a favor. If you would choose all 
the other proteins that you could choose. And let's just like minimize chicken and put minimize. You don't have to eat chicken. There's so many other things you can eat. Why do you and, have and, to eat chicken? For those listening to it's chicken and eggs, right? Because it's the same. Correct, okay. yes. But chicken's more problematic than eggs. Okay. Okay. It, some people who B blood types technically can often do chicken, uh, can do eggs. Believe it or not, the bigger problem with eggs is the corn that's in the eggs for a lot of us and especially for B blood types, okay? So in B blood types, the egg isn't the problem. It's the corn that's in the egg of the chicken. But it's the chicken meat and the actual proteins in the chicken meat that is problematic for B blood types. Okay. So I said to the client, I didn't say don't eat chicken. I said, eat turkey, eat beef, eat all these other wonderful things you can eat. Let's just not eat so so much chicken, right? So he runs back to Philip Golia and he tells Philip Golia, I told him not to eat chicken. And Philip Golia calls me, why'd you tell my client not to eat chicken? Chicken is a high quality, lean source of animal protein that is low in fat and high in B vitamins and assimilates great and like went through all of these like scientific cues of why chicken is like so fantastic. And I was like, listen, first of all, I didn't tell him not to eat chicken. I said, let's minimize it. I said, I said to him, and I remember I was so nervous because he's like a heavyweight in our industry, right? He was like grilling me. It's just like last year. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, Philip, I said, are you cool if this client eats turkey? Absolutely. And I said, are you cool if this client eats some lean beef? Yes, absolutely. And I'm like, that's what I told him. I just said, listen, in my practice and in my experience, I find chicken is very problematic for bees. You can recite all the literature you want. I can tell you in my experience of 24 years, I have seen very serious problems that go away permanently, undeniably when certain blood types take out certain foods. And he's like, you're doing a good job. You're doing a great job. I love talking to you, you today. Converted. I mean, wow. I totally converted him, right? Because I was just like, listen, you know, we all have our opinions, but I will say, like, I've been around long enough. I've been doing this long enough. I'm highly educated. I'm a smart person. And I can tell you, I have watched this do miracles for people. So how do you argue that? Right? It's, it's kind of hard. I mean, it's not the placebo effect. It's none of that crazy witchcraftery. It's just like, do you have migraines anymore? Did you used to have them every week and now they're gone and you took out dairy? You could call that a coincidence if you want, but I don't think it is. Yeah. You know? And also again, when there, when there are so many, like the cheese thing is hard, right? Cause yes. so many delicious things have yes. cheese on them. And cheese is just delicious. Yeah. But chicken, <laughs> I mean like I could go without chicken the rest of my life. I could make, cause right. there are so many other good Sources of animal protein totally. and, you know, who's going to choose a chicken burger over a beef burger anyway? Right. Um, but I, I also, you know, I imagine, you know, if you tell someone in Wisconsin they can't have cheese, I mean, right. kill me now. Oh, yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. They Absolutely. wear cheese on their heads. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. Cheese is, I love Wisconsin yeah. cheddar. I mean, I love cheese. I do. So I'm sure you're, it's, it's hard to not get, um, especially when this industry, literally, we're joking about it. It's chicken and broccoli or chicken and broccoli totally. with brown rice. Yeah. So to tell someone that one of those All three, three things. All three of those things are real problematic for me. Isn't that amazing? And I'm not saying they're bad. They are problematic for me. Right? And so it's like, but I'm not saying kale is bad for you, but it can be problematic. Raw kale can be very problematic on, a, you know, an A's digestive system, right? So, yeah. I mean, I, I think what it comes down to for me is I didn't say don't eat chicken, right? Even though I know you're going to be better if you don't eat it at all. I didn't say don't eat cheese. Minimize it. See how you feel. But really at the end of the day, 
we all want to be healthier. We want all want to feel vibrant, right? Very few people are actually living vibrantly. You know, very few people are, are, are really feeling amazing. They are absent of disease. They're slogging through, but they're getting through okay, right? Once you see what it feels like to be completely untamped down, and once you see what it feels like to feel like so energetic, you then start to rethink some of these things about some of these foods that we're talking about. Because it really does, I don't think anybody can argue that food does cause biochemistry changes in our body. I think you better agree with me. Yeah, Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just duh, right? So it's like food does influence us. We all agree on that. So why is it so hard to consider the food that you love might not be making you feel so good? It's your choice. You can slog through life if you want. But if you're sick of having migraines, if you're sick of being constipated, if you're sick of gas and bloating, right? If you're sick of feeling fat or having you know, low energy workouts, like why not consider trying some of these experiments for two months or three months and see how you feel. You might try it and say, nope, it didn't, I didn't notice a big difference. Okay, fine. Right. Move on to the next thing. I mean, it really is. I feel like I finally in my forties gotten to a place of thriving without doubt. I'm in the, the best shape of my life. My body functions better than ever. I sleep better than ever. My digestion is better than ever. I think I look better than ever. I mean, I feel like I'm so great, but it was 30 years of these little experiments. Trial and error, yeah. Trial and error, right? To see, does that impact me, yes or no? And some of them, there was a time in my 20s when the blood type diet really first came on. I did it to a T. All the highly beneficial foods, I avoided all my avoid foods, and I didn't notice a big difference, right? That's a longer story as to why. Um, But then when I revisited it in my 30s, and I really just took sort of like the broad strokes, the biggest, um, most powerful aspects of it, it was really such a big game changer. But all those years, it was like little experiments to see what would work and what's not. And then once you start to realize the correlations, like it doesn't matter if there's a a research, double blind research studies to support it. Why does it matter if this thing is working for you and making you feel better or if removing this from your diet, as illogical as it seems, as nutritious as that food is supposed to be, kale is a great example, right? Everyone thinks, I mean, it is. If we look at kale on the ORAC scale, yes, it's very high in antioxidants. It's a nutritious food. But it might not be working so great when you eat it raw in your digestive system. If you take it out and you are better, does that mean kale is bad? No, it just means that it doesn't work so great in your body and you're better without it. And it there is. are so many other greens. Like that, exactly. that, that's, I think, Swiss the most chard, important thing. Green chard, rainbow chard, right? There's a million. Absolutely. Um, and you, you still occasionally, I, I believe I heard you still have some chicken on occasion. Like very <sighs> rarely, but it's happened. Yeah, it does. I mean, probably, I bet... Like, let's say, thankfully, I don't have to be super militant or vigilant about anything anymore. I'm able to have a, a little bit of these things here and there. So if I'm at a barbecue and all there is is amazing chicken and that's the only protein and I'm starving, I will eat the chicken, right? But I know I'll feel it the next day. If it's 11 o'clock and I'm at the airport in the middle of nowhere in Ohio and I'm going to die and I need protein, I'll eat chicken. Um, But I avoid it as much. I do everything I can to avoid it. But I'm not one of those people either that's like, I am not going to touch it. 
You know, I just think that's silly. I'm going to feel worse if I need food and I don't eat. That's a real recipe for disaster for Where me. Where are you at with peanut butter? Because that's one of those things that... I what, love what a, it, what first a, what, a, what a gift. Oh, God, I love it. What a gift. It's I know so it's delicious. problematic for so pretty much people. almost everyone, but yeah. I mean, what a beautiful gift. I know. It's delicious. Creamy, crunchy if you want it to be. It's del- It makes everything taste better. It does. Oh, God. I once ate, when I was like really a disaster in my 20s in New York, I just was a mess metabolically, <laughs> right? All kinds of a mess. I once ate three quarters of a jar of peanut butter for dinner one night. It's amazing. <laughs> it's disgusting. I, I used to, this is actually funny. <laughs> you bring this up. I, I used to do uh, these heavy fat loading days, mm-hmm. uh, bodybuilding time in my mid twenties. <clears throat> and I would have uh, one or two full cups of nuts and a full jar of peanut butter wow. a couple times a day. And that didn't mess your digestive system up. Uh, I mean, there were so many things going on. Like you said, there, it, you can't tell. in your twenties, everything's all, it's all, it's all fucked up. <laughs> totally. Let's just be honest about oh it. Um, and you're, you're trying everything and you think you know everything and you know nothing. And, um, but I would, the joke was with my wife, she would know like the next day, the oh, next yeah. morning. Totally. I, mean, I, I was, sure. re- I was ready to go. If you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anything t- in extreme yes. is going to throw your system out of whack. Yeah. Right, a cup, two cups of nuts, and what? What was it? Well, and then like a, a, jar, a full jar of peanut butter. Oh, but what God. I would do is I take the full jar of peanut butter and I put throw like cashews and almonds oh and walnuts God. in it, and I eat oh, it. Oh, but I bet it was so much. Fun. Oh, it was amazing. Oh. And, it, and did I, you eat sugary peanut butter at the time? Or no, no, no always no okay. sugar added. Natural, oh, delicious. Um, I, 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 at least I did my fat loading right. But what yeah. it was was the testosterone. Oh yeah. Just the next day, man, it was just. Oh yeah, for um, sure. So yeah, it's it's just so funny the stuff you yeah. try and try to figure out and fine tune, but it takes. That's why people, if they can just work the system, you can actually get better in your thirties, forties, fifties because you just keep getting smarter with yep. your system. You refine, you refine, you refine. I mean, hands down. I I had a moment a couple months ago where I woke up, got out of bed, and I have a full length mirror, and I literally looked at my bod, and it was just great. And I literally was like, who are you? I mean, it's like the body that I always wanted. I, I always, my energy, my mental outlook, my regularity. I was lean. I was tight. My muscles look good. I liked my muscles. I wasn't too skinny. I wasn't, I mean, I just literally was like, holy shit balls, right? And it's because I've just gotten better and better and better and better at learning what works for my body. I've got it dialed into a system now. And you do get better in my 40s. I feel so much better. Everything, everything is better, right? And it's because I stayed committed all these years to really learning. Like, I've stayed awake, you know? The more you can just wake up and be honest with yourself, um, a lot of times if you love your peanut butter, it might actually be because you have an addiction to it on a, on a biological level. A food sensitivity can often look like an addiction or a love, right? Like, I would crave chicken in my 30s. And it's interesting. I took it out. I don't ever want to eat or crave chicken anymore, you know? So I think to the peanut butter thing and all of this, it's like, listen. I'm asking for a friend. Of course. No, for sure. <laughs> Tell your friend that I say this. You know, again, all these foods that we're talking about and foods in general, they all have a different profile of vitamins, minerals, macronutrients, micronutrients, fiber, phytochem. There's all these things about all these foods that we eat, right? So it's not that peanut butter is good or bad or chicken is good or bad. It's how is it reacting in your body? You're a chemistry experiment going down 24-7, right? Yep. And so how does it 
react in your body. And as illogical as some of the things may seem, it's worth looking into because ultimately, don't you want to be better? And if you have things that are that are weighing you down or challenging or that you're not happy about, do something about it because there's a reason. If you have bloating, gas, digestion, migraines, headache, um, you know, all of the skin issues, all of these things, bathroom issues, right? There's a reason. There is a reason. The human body really does function well when you put it into an environment that's really good for your unique mechanism. And even if you don't follow it all the time, at least yes. you know not to have the foods that cause the gas, bloating, and diarrhea on date nights, right? For you can at least start sure. to make, or there's a big performance coming yes. up or a big event. You know, or your wedding least, day. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Pass on the chicken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? And it's also like what I've learned is, I just talked about this a moment ago, if you can get your body into optimal functioning, right, most of the time, 80% of the time, you've got 20% of time, you can eat the thing. Fuck around, yeah. Yeah, you can fuck around and it won't have the fallout that it had. Absolutely. Right? Like, I can eat a donut and there is no fallout to it anymore because 80% of the time I'm not eating the donut. My system has gotten so good and supercharged and revved up and clean that when I do throw some junk in it, which I do now... That it doesn't, I, I'm able to rebound from More it. resilient. But in the yeah. 30s, I couldn't. You know, it was like I would eat a piece of chicken and I would feel it. I would drink one glass of wine and I would feel it. it it's just a, a function of getting the system up and running so well that, yeah, it can handle some of the assaults every now and then. So I am not a saint in my nutrition at all. But 80% of the time, it's pretty impressive. You're locked in. Yeah. It's that 80% that allows you to have the imperfections when you yes. want it, when you need it. Exactly. Um, you know, the... Uh, What's so fascinating, too, is uh, I actually had a very unique point to that, and I just lost my train of thought. But it, it'll it'll circle. Oh, yeah. So when I always say, and then people get upset when I say this, because like one of the dumbest questions you can ask someone is, what do you eat? Right. Yeah. Because you're not them, right? Exactly. And so I, I could literally give you my best advice for me, and I, but there are principles, right? Like protein sure. and produce we can all pretty much agree on. Oh. And then you figure out how many, how much fat, how much more carbohydrate, which protein and produce options are best for exactly. you. So that that's the lifelong journey that we have to go on. So there are principles we can all kind of agree on, um, but trying to take the easy way out of finding what works for someone else instead of like accepting the fact you have the ability to like by the time you die, find out exactly what your body responds mm-hmm. to best. Yeah. And, and that will be uniquely your plan. Yeah. Nobody else will work on this plan as well as you do. Yep. That unique combination. So again, it's, it's a perspective and mindset and uh, they want to know right away and certainly getting a blood type assessment or, you know, there's genetic testing and stuff that can help yeah. guide your dietary choices, but nothing can top the user, uh, you know, user trial and error process. Totally. Um, to yeah. And it's it hard because it's like, I remember once asking my community that question. It's like, do you guys want to know what I do or do you want me to tell you what you should do? Because really, I think the val- more valuable information is for me to tell you what you should do. Right. Yeah. For that reason. And, but I think people are ultimately like, they're really interested in what you do because they learn from it. Right. But it has to be that intersection of the two. And so blindly sure, this is what I do, but really the upper, the real opportunity is for you listener to get some coaching and some guidance to figure out for you what's ideal. Right. Cause it's true. It's like me being a B, I can't eat chicken, but O's can eat chicken. Great. They're fine on chicken. 
think A's are okay on chicken as well, you know? So it's like, just because I don't eat chicken doesn't mean you shouldn't eat chicken. And I would never tell a person that unless they're a B blood type. And that goes both ways too. And a mistake, I can be owing up to the fact that a lot of mistakes I've made in the past, I put my own bullshit in other people because what worked, you know, the problems I had may not be your problems. So the solutions that I'm prescribing to you are not authentically the best options for you because it's unique to my experience. So we all made that mistake because we drink the Kool-Aid or, you know, but that, that's the journey of this whole process. In finishing, I want to get to what is your most passionate. We, we can't not talk about women in strength training, men versus women. Let's go into this. I'm going to yeah. let you, because this is, I can just tell you're already chomping at the bit. Oh, dear. So, yeah, you know, after all these years in the fitness industry, like I said, I hit some road bumps in my 40s. And on an emotional level and biological level, I mean, life is just a disaster. It was a perfect storm of sorts uh, right around 40. And um, I really just started to see both the research supporting the critical importance of strength training for women and my own personal strength training journey really did change my life. And that was when I shifted my 20 now four years or whatever career as a general fitness expert to really focusing on strength training for women, because we know, right, that strength training is such a powerful tool for women hormonally, mentally, emotionally, physically, obviously, in so many ways, it's the application of exercise that so many women don't haven't really gotten the chance to fully experience just yet. And so that's what my conversation is all about, is really, A, being a proponent of strength training for women, B, helping them to be less intimidated, because surprisingly, it's shocking. So many women are still so terrified of strength training and going into the gym and they're intimidated. A lot of them are certain they're going to bulk up is still right. And so it, my conversation become Shira. I know. Right. I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of, a lot of women that still very much believe that by lifting five pound weights, they're going to bulk up. And certainly some women can put muscle on more easily than others. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do believe that there are women who gain muscle easily, but you're not going to bulk up unless you're really intending to. Right. So once I really got the like health value and how important it is for us on a medical health conversation for women to be strength training, not just to look good, not just to be buff, not to have a great booty, not to fit in your bikini, but your health is very dependent on strength training, especially as the years continue. But additionally, I think women, we really need a lot of support on an emotional, personal level. And the stronger you feel physically, the stronger you present yourself as a human being in the world. And my conversation really is helping women to build strength on a personal, emotional, internal level through the practice of strength training. Um, And that's what I talk about all the time. And so part of that intersection is how we are different from your species. We are so very different in the gym. And I really believe that there are certain, um, so many different practices and applications to talk about around how women are different in the gym, not literally in the gym. Do you know what I mean? I use that as a metaphor, but around this concept of strength training, how different we are as compared to men and how that plays out. Well, so do you find the difference to be more at a psychological level versus physical? All of the above in every way. I feel like when it comes to strength training, we are so radically different. So listen, if I take a slice of my muscle and a slice of your muscle and we put it under a microscope, it looks the same. 
Muscle is muscle, right? Yep. But because of hormones, we are different physiologically, psychologically, <laughs> biologically, right? We are different. The way that our hips are built means that even biomechanically, we're different in the gym. And so I, I believe that top to bottom, all of it were very different, right? The way that we mentally and emotionally and psychologically approach strength training is different than men, right? The way that we approach the world is different than men. And so in all the ways, yeah, but are, is your muscle different than mine? No, but because of testosterone and estrogen, I'm going to adapt and respond very differently than you are. And therefore, there are some considerations around programming that should be different for women, right? And what would those be the most important ones that you So find? I think recovery is different. I think how our muscle adapts to weight loads and progressive resistance, right? Um, so I had a, a, a someone reach out to me, sent me a DM with a video. Long, long story short, let me try to get this really succinct and clear. But Dick pic? <laughs> I wish. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> a woman with a dick pic now. But that would be interesting. I that would be. Happen. It's going to happen at some point. I hope so. Yeah. I hope it does. I would love that. <laughs> I will have arrived. <laughs> Please let me know as soon as it does. <laughs> right? So she sent me a video of herself in a dressing room. She was at Lululemon and she was trying on a shirt. Okay? And she has built up pec muscles, but she's got small breast tissue. So that creates a certain visual here in the chest area that she does not like. Okay. And she doesn't understand why her chest looks like this. So we're talking aesthetics right now, which is different than performance. Sure. Right? I'm a big fan of bench pressing for women from a performance perspective or any kind of chest pressing. I think it's a valuable movement pattern. And if a bench press or a wide chest press is your predominant pressing movement for your chest, your pecs develop differently. You know this, right? As compared to if you're doing a fly, which is going to develop your pecs a little bit differently. So here she is having a moment in a dressing room where she's really upset and like almost to tears. She doesn't like the way this looks, right? So it happens to be someone I know from my community and we got on the phone and we talked through it and come to find out she's doing a lot of bench pressing and no other chest movements. So part of it is simply how her body adapted to these movement patterns that because she's a woman, she's not privy to a lot of the conversations you might have at muscle and fitness magazine, right? Or men's health or men's fitness, whatever. And so she just doesn't understand why her chest looks this way and she doesn't like it. And so that's where I come in and I'm like, listen, ladies, if you have certain aesthetic desires about how your body look, looks, there's certain movement patterns you might want to avoid, right? If you don't want a broad upper back, a wide grip pull down or wide grip pull up might not be the best movement pattern when we can do a reverse and you're not going to get the broadening of your back. And so again, here to the listeners, I don't mind a wide back, right? I'm not talking right now. This part, this piece of the conversation isn't about performance because I do think there are performance values in these movement patterns, right? For sure. Um, but if what we're talking about is a woman who's really upset on an emotional level every day because she doesn't like this, if I can change the chest movement she's doing and this changes a little bit too, that's a piece of information I think is really valuable for a lot of women because we hate this stuff. We do not like this you don't stuff. Like the lats. 
not the, I love the lats. <laughs> we don't like the schmudge that hangs over yes. our bra because of the body fat that's in this area that's getting pushed outward because we're doing wide lat movements and wide chest movements, right? Some women don't mind it. Some women don't mind big, huge traps. I'm not commenting on that. I'm commenting to the women that hit the gym, start doing a lot of what I call kind of, um, traditional male exercises because they don't know, right? They follow their favorite expert who does bench pressing and wide grip pull-ups and they start doing that. And they don't understand why they don't like the look of their body when you actually can change it by the movement patterns that you're doing. And so that's one piece of the conversation that I like to have with women. And so with her, I was like, let's run an experiment. I'm all about the experiments. Let's take you off flat bench press And let's have you start doing some just flies. Let's just start doing a dumbbell fly or a pec deck or fly movements for your chest, right? Let's just see what happens in a couple of months. Let's see if that changes. And often it does. I mean, I see it in my body all the time. There'll be times where I'm bench pressing a lot. I look a whole lot different than I do today because I haven't been doing a lot of heavy bench press, right? Like we do respond and adapt just like men do, but sometimes the aesthetic desires are different. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You want to target different things. You yeah. Every day is a different body type. Yeah. Uh, hyper-responding, non-responding areas. Yeah. So you have to skew things to accommodate that. Um, yeah. But I, th- I think what you're touching on is the importance of, um, I mean, the fact that for both genders, right? I mean, there, there's certain areas that they want to hit more than others mm-hmm. um, based on their preferences, the preference of the people they're trying to attract. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, that that's where the fine line between performance and bodybuilding or aesthetics becomes the conversation. And you might have a mix of both goals and that becomes a, a more complicated conversation, right? Cause there are certain things that for performance are great, but not are, that are not great for aesthetics. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, but I think, you know, that conversation right there. So that is such a common conversation I have found. Um, I, I believe maybe I'm wrong, but like amongst, the male fitness in population community, right? You, I don't know why. It's like, it's a more common conversation that do this exercise to make your pecs look this way or your butt look this way or your calves look that this way. But it's a little different for women. And I think because historically the fitness industry has been guided and governed by male voices, right? I'm not, I don't want to sound like a feminist. That's not it. But like, let's look back through the history of the fitness industry. Our leaders, our predominant voices for the most part have been men, right? All the conferences, the speakers are largely men, right? And so again, I'm not really criticizing. I'm just saying, let's look at that. So therefore what happens is a lot of women then when it comes to the domain of strength training, we look to the male voices to guide us. But if we're not an enthusiast and we're not listening closely enough and so-and-so says bench press and wide grip pull downs, right. And all of these movements. And then they think their body is failing them because that's the complex, you know, psychology of a woman and our emotions, right. That, that then she ends up having not such a great positive experience and she doesn't want to strength train anymore. And so what I want to come in and say, no, the problem's not strength training. Let's change your movement patterns, right? Let's just do this a little bit differently. Customize the program. Yeah. yeah. Because she's been told she can't bulk up, but she is bulking up, yeah. <laughs> right? Because all the magazines are saying you can't bulk up. Absolutely. Right? But it's like, well, yes, yeah, she can. That was actually, we talked about this earlier. 
I did a big story with Women's Health Magazine many years ago. And something I said was like something about women building muscle. And I got hate mail, three hate emails, probably the same person, just like tearing me apart. What are you stupid? Don't you know women can't bulk up? And I was like, of course they can if their program is right. Like some women can do it more easily than others, but of course they can. But yet so many women are told we can't bulk up. It's all in the definition of bulk, right? But if you're bench pressing 95 pounds, it's possible as a woman, your muscle's going to get bigger. <laughs> you yeah, know? No, either you really either you respond to training or you don't. Some people don't. Yeah. They can still get the strength and yep. performance benefits, but they will never really achieve sizable increases in muscle mass. Right. They, they've shown that in research. But man or woman, obviously uh, women do not have the same hormonal advantage as men do in terms of muscle building, but uh, you apply a stimulus repeatedly, yeah. the body is going to accommodate to that and exactly. adapt and build. So uh, what are your top three to five tips for women to get the most out of strength training and also for men or anyone who trains women to get the most out of their bodies? Oh, geez, nutrition. I think that's a very sorely misunderstood thing for women is eating right around your strength training workouts. Women are still going into workouts empty, which I'm not a fan of for women. Um, I think it it can work great for men, but I think your nutrition around your strength training is critical. Um, You know, understanding the concept of progressive resistance and, and getting that right, like progressively loading a muscle differently and more over time is really important. Um, And also getting clear on how responsive is your body. So, for example, for years I was doing a lot of cardio. So even though I was eating right and I was lifting right in the gym, I wasn't responding because I was doing too much cardio. So for years I thought that I was like, you know, I could not build muscle until I started pulling back on the cardio and I started to realize, oh, I can. I'm still a hard gainer, but I can definitely build muscle. So I think looking at all the program variables is important because a lot of people, what I'm seeing often, like we talked about earlier, is women come to me, they're on a low-carb diet, they're doing tons of cardio, and they can't understand why they can't build muscle because it's all the program variables. It's not just what you're doing in your strength training workout. Yeah. Right, It's all the other stuff that is it helping you to be anabolic if you want to be or are there other things in your life that are causing you to be catabolic no matter how hard you lift if you're not eating enough calories and you're totally catabolic it's going to be real hard to build muscle or get stronger you might get stronger but I don't know that you're going to actually get bigger muscle you know so yeah I think those would be the three I love it and uh, in terms of the psychology how would you motivate your female clients versus and a lot of this is so individual too within each category, but yeah. what's the main difference in motivating female versus male clients? So I find that in my experience, women are a lot more motivated by being healthy and feeling well. Okay. And they might come to you saying, I want to look a certain way. They might come to you with aesthetic goals, um, you know, reporting aesthetic goals. But when you really look closely and it starts to play out over time, their primary motivators the real motivators, the real thing that's getting them going isn't aesthetics. It really is. I want to feel better. I want to be better. And I want to be healthier and longevity are the bigger motivating factors I find for women. Whereas for men, a lot of times it's really about like, um, a sense of confidence they get around being fit and strong. And I think aesthetics seem to be a bit more simple for guys. 
they might just be coming in to look better and that's a strong enough motivator for them. A lot of times for women, it's not. Interesting. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's my experience. Um, and I could certainly understand, like you said, it's like everyone is unique, but certainly from like historically as a trainer, I actually worked with a lot of men. It wasn't until later in my career that I really started focusing on women. Um, so I feel like I've gotten a really good, you know, I'm real good. Men are easy to train. Gosh, as a trainer, like training men, it's so easy, so easy to produce results with you guys. With women, it's hard. And I don't know if you find that in your work with women, but it's like, I just find it harder to help women get great results. We're just quirkier, more complicated, and in many ways, more complex. And again, I don't, I don't in any way mean to sound like a feminist or anything like that. It's just no, no, really it's, just an observation. It, it, it's, that's the beauty of this is, and why, why I love this show, is you get so many unique perspectives. Yeah. And uh, you take what you want. Uh, you, you apply any of the concepts you're sharing. But you also, the thing about research, too, and you've got to be always very cautious with it, is that, um, you know, I recently saw one of the top researchers in, in the field of strength and conditioning made a post uh, about, like, you, you know, People say you can target this certain muscle, but none of the research actually supports that. Um, at the same time, like you can't overlook also the anecdotal experience right. of going through it personally and finding this movement doesn't work for me. There yeah. may not be research, uh, or I, I can actually this movement helps me build more of my outer chest. Right. There might be you no know, research to validate that, but if you found that to be true, you know, like so again, it's it's the double sided coin of research real world experience. You want to find the ultimate combination of both. A lot of yep. time the research changes yeah, or it catches up or maybe who knows. And I think it's also important to look at who was the research done on, you know, so That's much research too, yeah. is done on 19 year old college male athletes. That's true. Right. So we got to look at where's this research coming from. And that's, that is one of my criticisms is so much of health and fitness research is college athlete, male college athletes yeah. with a few women thrown in there. And a lot of beginners, too, who yes, respond exactly. to anything. So exactly. it's really hard to, to gauge exactly. how effective. Uh, but that's a whole yeah. other story. But uh, I agree with you. I think it's so important to, yes, let's look at the research because evidence is, is, is so important. And we have all seen the anecdotal evidence of things that aren't supposed to add up, but they do. We see people doing having certain practices and beliefs and rituals and, and training program variables that it's working even though the research says it doesn't, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at a lot of the stuff I've been sharing lately in the Garden of Gains, many of these movements have not been studied, right? right. In terms of using these particular pieces yeah. of equipment or however I've structured, it doesn't mean uh, I'm not going to be using them if I'm finding success with them myself, right? right. So that's the, that's the ultimate battle. But that's yeah. the fun stuff in this whole thing is you can actually then create, nothing's proprietary <laughs> except your unique approach that you can create in yeah. this whole process. Yeah. Uh, where can people find out more about you, learn more about what you got going on. And what's, what's the exciting stuff on the horizon for you? Uh, I think the exciting thing is I'm going to be working on my next book, which is nutrition focused. Oh, I'm nice. excited about that. So more to come on that in September. It may or may not talk about chicken. It actually won't. Oh, it, won't no? it won't have that angle. No, nah. I want at least one chapter on chicken. I know. Nah, because that's <laughs> too like, Oh, you know, that's too out there. And I, I think like the uh, general population isn't totally, this community is open to that, but 
you know, the larger, less educated world is kind of like, don't touch my chicken. Seriously. I know. And I probably would get sued by Purdue Um, (laughs) or Chick-fil-A or sponsored by them. I don't know which, right? I'm actually sponsored by both. You're in trouble after this episode. (laughs) I've I've lost my sponsorships. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So my website, hollyperkins.com is where you can find me. Instagram, hollyperkins. Um, Yeah, on my website, I offer a couple of free resources, a six-week interim program that's really great for people when they are coming back from an injury, coming off the couch, transitioning between programs. It's a great deloading program. Um, And then I also have a guide on eating according to macros because I know some people are still a little misunderstanding of how that plays out. I'm a huge fan of getting smart with your macronutrients and what's right for your body and, and or eating with a purpose in mind, right? We talked about this, like low carb can be great for a certain purpose and for longevity, is it the right way of going about it? And so I really love looking at and using macros for just kind of like programming people's bodies based on what their purpose or their goal is. I love it. Well, hey, it's been a pleasure. Look forward to continue to learn more about you. And uh, it's great just to see someone, you know, I I love getting people on the show that really know their stuff, but when when they love it, and it comes off very authentically in the way they speak about it. And just obviously, we, I don't know how long we've been on. It's been a while, but it felt like a short conversation because of how you know engaged you are in this stuff. So I, I love it and I, I wish you the best. Let me know how else I can help along the way. And uh, I got to say, L.A. is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. I'm not leaving. Good. Unless you guys kick Nor me should out. you. No, they might, they why kick, would you leave though? They, they might kick me out. Well, that's, I, that's why I'm... I want to stay here so I don't leave the garden too much. Totally. Can't get into trouble. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's an amazing <laughs> Unless place. Unless sparkles. So. I'm worried about sparkles now. <laughs> sparkles uh, is going to weather the December rains. I she can better. tell you that. She better. She's going to be fine. So those of you guys that are worried about all the rain, sparkles is fine. <laughs> what am I going to do when it rains, Holly? I uh, don't know. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'm hungry. I don't know about you. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check Holly out and all the outlets she had mentioned. Also in the show notes, I'll link up as well. And uh, we'll see you next time for the next episode. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to the weekly BJ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the podcast to be notified when each weekly episode is posted. Follow me everywhere on social media at BJ Gador, B-J-G-A-D-D-O-U-R. And for more podcasts, plus workout, meal prep, and mobility content, please visit the dailybj.com, hashtag not a porn site. Membership is just $9.69 per month. Cancel anytime.